You're listening to Interviews, the podcast that cracks the entrepreneurship code. I'm your host, Laurent Autain. I'm an entrepreneur, coach to entrepreneurs, and startup mentor with more than 20 years' experience running companies and advising entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur is the most difficult job there is. There are no practical guidelines. So join me every week and learn how you can better navigate your entrepreneurship journey and become an exceptional entrepreneur. It's a special episode today because my guest is Howard Steffenberg. is the world's fastest reader. The Guinness Book of Records recognized Howard in 1990 for his ability to read more than 25,000 words per minute and write more than 100 words per minute. No one has ever beaten this record. Yes, you've heard me right, and that's pretty impressive. So Howard is also a successful entrepreneur. He's been using his talent to mentor people and offer live and recording training sessions on knowledge management tools. He has sold over 650,000 copies of his speed reading program. And of course, he's a television guest and now a podcast favorite. Interviews is brought to you by Social Prize, a global remote company that has been providing marketing and communication services since 2005. Their goal, help you thrive in the new normal. Log on their website to learn more, socialprize.me. Hi, Howard. Thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So I guess my first question to you, Howard, is you're the world's fastest reader. Why? <laughs> oh, oh, there was a real good reason. My, my last year of college, I decided to major... I was a biologist and I wanted to major in also psychology. There's a branch of biology called psychobiology. It's not psychotic biology, that's Frankenstein. Psychobiology is the biology of behavior. And so I had to do the four-year program in one year and finish bio. So I had to take six science courses, 18 credits of science, two four-hour labs. Each lab report was on a slide rule that took 16 hours. So 40 hours of lab, 18 credits of science. And just to make it interesting, I had three jobs. I was working 18 hours a week. So they said it's impossible. No one could do that. And as I learned more about how the brain worked, I got up to 80 pages a minute. Uh, I finished the program in one year. I took the graduate record exam, the SAT for graduate school in, in biology. So I had a review. So I read 48 books in three nights, like biochemistry, genetics, cell physiology. I got three questions wrong. So I got an 800, I was in the 99th percentile. And then it was like, gee, I wonder if what I'm doing is me or it's teachable. It's a difference between you can walk on a tightrope or anyone could walk on a tightrope. Yeah. There were not a lot of people doing that. So I taught kids 11 to 15, the same system. And they did 30 chapter book in lifelong developmental psychology, a sophomore course in college in a week, and they took the AP test, 15 out of 18 students passed it. So I said, okay, if you get an 11-year-old to do a semester of sophomore college work in a week and get full credit, that's a breakthrough. It's not just that you can do it, but you can help others accomplish that. And that's what I've been doing is showing people how it's done so they can make more money in a knowledge-based economy. Was that... Uh a talent that you had when you were born? Um, when I was born, I didn't read. 
the first thing I remember is swimming. It was a very long swim. And I, <laughs> I wasn't reading at that point, but I did read young. I probably was reading well at four. You know, mm-hmm. well, I was reading, you know, Dr. Zeus, what and here's a who. But by the time I was seven, I was reading the theory of relativity. Um, I was studying comparative religion. I read uh, Greek mythology, the uh, Roman mythology, the Nordic mythology, the Indian mythology. I was interested in the similarities in all the different myths. And sort of like Joseph Campbell, but I was seven. And uh, I was studying astronomy when I was seven. I was helping in in a planetarium near my home. I would help with the lectures. So I was a little different. And by the time I was 11, I scored a perfect score on the reading test. I was uh, at 12, nine, which is college level. And uh, just, so I was good at, before I read fast. I read 3000 words a minute before I sped up. And that's about 15 times higher than normal. But the other fact was I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn were a lot of gangs. It was very, very violent. I mean, really bad. And I, it was West Side Story without the music and dancing. And uh, I had knives to my throat. I was beaten with bats. But there was one place safe in my neighborhood, the library. Because the gang kids would never go in the library, no matter what. That was like the safest place you could be. The worst case in the library was a paper cut. So I read a lot. And I read constantly because it was the safest thing to do. And if you do something long enough and often enough, you get better at it. Like Michael Jordan, he threw the ball a lot of times to get that good. It just didn't happen the first time he threw the ball. I'm doing it now, oh, I'm going to say about 68 years. So I've gotten pretty good at it. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) What's the craziest thing you've ever done? My first marriage. <laughs> I tell everyone I had a storybook marriage. Unfortunately, Stephen King wrote the book, but I do have a good one now. Just to, just to be my, my wife is one of the nicest people on planet Earth, but I appreciate her. And I tell her every day how much I appreciate her because I know what I had before. But that was the craziest thing I ever did. <laughs> I was not expecting that answer. <laughs> But but I mean uh, to be to be serious, is the the establishing the Guinness Book of of records is that is that uh, sorry the Guinness record is that the craziest thing you did? Oh no, actually I've done much more than that. Right, probably one of the most interesting things there. I was a swimming teacher for eighteen years as a volunteer with the Red Cross, mm. and I was swimming in a pool. I wasn't the lifeguard. I was just swimming laps, and I noticed the guy next to me wasn't moving which is not a good thing if you're floating and not moving and you're in your 80s. Yeah. So uh, I, I swam over and I tapped him on the shoulder and he didn't move. So I shook him, he didn't move. I turned him over, he was dead. Oh. And I was like, okay, this is a problem. So I told the lifeguard, you and I got to get this guy out of the pool. And we did CPR and breathing and we got him back. He came back to life. I thought that was probably one of the most interesting things I've done. And it also shows the importance of learning because I hadn't studied CPR in years. But if I didn't do it right at that time, he had zero chance of surviving. So 
that's fairly technical. You have to know exactly where to put your hands, how hard to push, how often to push. And if it's not done the right way, it isn't going to work. So that was something I learned like five, six, seven years earlier. But I remembered it well enough to, to save someone's life. So I think that's a big part of business. We learn things, but do we remember them when we need them? You often will have that experience. Like, I think I learned this once. I don't remember the details. I just know once I could do this, it's not good enough. You really have to know things when there's a problem and you need to be able to do the right thing that you learned that you don't remember. So that's really where I come in. I'm showing people not just how to read fast, which nobody wants to do, how to learn fast and then remember it when you need to use it. And another piece, very important, be in the right state. So, you know, oh my God, he's dead. And you can't think of what to do because he's dead. You're so worried and so upset. This guy's dead that you can't remember anything, which happens. You get nervous. You have to stay focused and calm in business. Things go wrong all the time. I've learned over the years that, you know, you set up a schedule. This is what I want to do today. And it's very rare you get to do that. You might do a few of them, but things happen during the day. You could never, people call up with problems. People call up with questions. People want, want like you want an interview, whatever it is. It's not what you were intending to do originally. And some people get upset because they're not doing what they planned. That's business. You do what you need to do. You, ad you adapt, you adjust, you change. You look for solutions instead of panicking and getting worried and nervous. I'll show you how that's done. It's really very easy. The main thing that determines your intelligence is your questions. If you say, why am I a loser? You'll get a lot of good answers about why you were a loser. It won't help you. You'll still be a loser, but that's what you'll get. On the other hand, if you ask, how can I be more successful? You'll get successful answers. So in business, instead of saying, why is this happening to me? It's not fair. It's happening. The question you should have asked is, what do I do about this? How do I handle this? What's the, the best question you can ask when you're in a crisis is, what's the next best thing I can do now? Not what you would like to be doing, but what can you do? And your brain will always look for the answer to the question you ask. But too many people, when things go wrong, ask, why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. I, I deserve, it's not going to help your brain find an answer. It's going to make it worse. You'll get so anxious, depressed. You can't think straight. And then the problem is not the problem. The problem is you can't think anymore. You become irrational and emotional. And someone in that state is unable to perform anything. So question is very, very important. Always listen to your voice, your inner voice, and make sure it's asking strong, positive questions. Not, why do I have to learn this? It's stupid. How do I learn this faster and better? How can I use this in my business? And then you get the kind of information out of the experience that you need. Instead of digging a deeper hole, 
and getting into a double problem of being incapacitated and a problem. I, I, I love it. I worked in the market research industry for 14 years. And we used to say with great questions comes great answers. And that's exactly what you're what you're talking about. So here's a question. Ego, garbage in, garbage out with yeah, computers. Exactly. You put garbage exactly. in your brain, you're going to get the, the garbage out that you asked for. Yeah. You're and right. so here's a question. Well, it's a, it's two questions in one. What's what are the benefits for people and, and funders more but more specifically to learn faster and better? And then how can you do that? Well, let me show you how to read faster first. Okay. Pick a book you've read, preferably a nonfiction book, and then read for a minute with a timer. And at the end of the minute, take a pencil and see how far you got. Don't do anything special. Just read the way you read. Now go to the second chapter. Take your hand and go one line at a time, eyes following your hand as fast as you could comprehend. So as long as you know what you're reading, go quicker and quicker and quicker till you don't. And since you know the book already, the only reason you don't know what you're reading is you're going too fast. That's how you know you went too fast. And slow down just enough so the comprehension's there. This is the fastest you could read with comprehension. And for five minutes, go one line at a time at your peak comprehension rate. Now go back to the first chapter where you tested yourself and use your hand. And you're going to go 20 to 40% past the mark you put in the first minute, doing that one single step. It's the first step in the berglearning.com system. And it's very easy to do. You could test it on any book. It's better if it's a book you know, because the only reason you're confused is you are going too fast. If it's a book on quantum physics and you never studied it and you have no background in math or science, there's probably another reason why you don't understand it. Because yeah. nobody does. <laughs> Even the people doing it are like, can't believe what it's saying. But so you want to make sure the reason you're confused is it's, it's too fast, not too hard. Now, comprehension is more important. You know, like I mentioned earlier, nobody wants to read fast. They want to learn fast and understand better. And the old way speed reading was taught, it was terrible, terrible for learning. Uh, about 20 years ago, when MSNBC first launched in the States, one of their first hosts was Dick Cavett. You may recognize, he was a very famous host back in the day, sort of like Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon is today, but he was very well respected. And we were chatting, we got to be friends. He told me a story. He said he interviewed Woody Allen, the actor, and Woody had taken Evelyn Woods, which was the big speed reading program. And he said he read War and Peace, which is enormous, in five minutes. He says, that's incredible, Woody. What do you remember? He said, it's about the Russian Revolution. And that's all I remember. And that was speed reading. You didn't remember anything. It was new. You didn't learn it because you had to slow down to learn it. And if you slowed down, you lost your speed. I fixed it. The guy who owned Evelyn Woods was Maurice Thompson. He paid me to teach my system to his son. That you went past speed reading to speed learning. I'm going to show you how. Remember, I studied the brain. And one of the key elements in comprehending text is called schema. And I'm going to demonstrate how it works to make text meaningful. I'm going to read a passage with no schema, and you'll have no idea what I'm talking about because there's no schema. I'll read it a second time afterwards with a title, one word that has schema, and 
instantly it'll make total sense because schema is what makes the page make sense. Are you ready? Yep. This is the schemaless text. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake and it cost you quite a bit of money. You don't know what I'm talking about. It's too vague. I'm going to read it again. The word on the top, the title is laundry. Laundry. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It can cost you quite a bit of money. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm saying. Indeed. So by teaching people where these clues are, they're going two, three, four times faster. And even technical material, law, medicine, chemistry, which is difficult material, but knowing where to look and what to look for and when they found it, it makes the complex data make more meaning to their brain. And it's hard to remember something you don't understand. If you didn't know what it was to begin with, how are you going to know what it was a week from now? So the main thing is comprehension. I'd rather see someone go 100% faster and know what they read than go five times faster and know the name of the book the next day, and that's it. And that was the difference between what I do and what others are doing. I also do two more things. So I teach study skills. What are you looking for and how do you know when you found it so you don't waste time learning immaterial material? How do you remember it when you need to use it? Big part of being successful. And this is the other part. How do you get in the right frame of mind so you're calm and focused and not panicking when you're using it? Because you might have an emergency like I did in the swimming pool and you can't afford to get so upset and emotional that you don't remember what you know and use it properly. I trained the US Special Forces at Fort Bragg, the Royal Thai Army, the English, the, the uh, Canadian Armed Forces in Toronto on how to create states to be in the right mindset to use their training so they don't get tired or nervous in the field, which could kill them. So this is true in business. People get true. tense, they get frightened, they get things go wrong. It's just part of business. It's horrible when it happens. But I don't know anyone who's been in business who hasn't had a day they wish they hadn't had. And how you handle those days are what determine how well your business will actually perform. It's yeah. easy to do the right thing when it's going the way you want. But when it isn't and you're still doing the right thing, now you're a businessman or woman. Yeah. It's it's very relevant to uh, entrepreneurs, business funders. You know that that mindset you're talking about because they have to make so many decisions. There's so much Quickly. pressure for them, and and not feel the pressure. Yeah, you know, think of one of my romas, Apollo 13, when the spaceship blew up, and they're like, "It's your fault." No, you did it. And he says, "Do you want to argue over whose fault it is, or you want to go home? Because we could spend the next hour screaming at each other." Or we yeah. could try to think, how are we going to survive? What do you want to do with that time? Yeah. And that's such a good, it was so brilliant. It wasn't that he wasn't concerned. He was totally concerned, but he looked at the real problem. The real problem isn't who did this. It happened. The real problem is 
what the hell do we do now? We're in the middle of space. Our oxygen's leaking out. And there's no, how are we going to get home alive? That was the real problem. And that was the right question. And he answered it. And they got home alive because they made the right decision. Every business gets to make those decisions every day. And if you don't make the right decision, you're floating in space forever dead. And that happens to a lot of businesses. So you've been an entrepreneur for 68 years now? 68. That's a long time. I'm 72. So I don't think I started at four. But, <laughs> but I did start work at nine. I was a singer when、right. I was nine years old. I got paid very well. I was singing temple、uh, for 10 hours. I got $3,000 in 1960. $3,000 at that time is $30,000 today. So for a nine year old to make、uh, $3,000 in 10 hours, It's pretty damn good money back yeah, then. Yeah, indeed, it is. <laughs> All right. My first business was when I was nine. So、uh, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time. <laughs> I found a store near my school that made engraved pencils、yeah. for a dollar. They'd give you 100 pencils. It was a different time. For a dollar, you got 100 pencils, or they had a pen and pencil set for 30 cents. So I went door to door in my neighborhood and I said, they could buy. For Christmas, for their, for their friends, engraved personalized pencils for $3, $100. They tripled the price. Yeah. And I said, you could get a pen and pencil set for $4. I went from $0.30 cents to $4. And I sold dozens and dozens of pencil sets and pen sets. And I made, I don't know, $20 or $30, which At that time, it was money. It was, it was 1960. But that was my first sprint as an entrepreneur. Take some, look at your price, raise your price to a profitable level, and then market it. That's, that's all it really is. <laughs> Create something, sell it for more than it costs to make. It sounds very simple. Find the people、simple. who want it. <laughs> it sounds very simple when you say it like that. <laughs> no, it's not always that simple, but that really is what business is. You have to sell it for more than it costs, and you have to know、yeah. who wants to buy it and how to find them in a way that costs less money than it costs you to profit.、Yeah. If you have a product that costs a dollar and you, you, you have to put in your marketing, it's,、uh, it's $2. If you make anything less than $2, you're losing money. Anything made- more than $2, you're making money.、So、that's, that's what business is. What have you been your, your key struggles as an entrepreneur? Judging people to work with. I've, I've made、mm. some bad. I, I, I try to help people. I was a teacher for 10 years when I got out of college. So I have a very nurturing background where I'm like, how can I help you? How can I make this work? And, and then they're going in and negotiating how much can we take and not pay him? <laughs> you know? So who wins? If you're like, how much can I give and not charge? And you're like, how much can we make him do and not pay? Doesn't usually work out for、yeah. the person who's nurturing. So I now have other people do my negotiating because I don't want to be a hard ass. It's not me. I like being a nurturer and it helps me work better with my clients. But in a negotiation, it's a weakness because I'm. Too empathetic and trying to make the other person happy, but at my expense. Right. And that's not a, it's not a good thing in business. Not that I don't understand better, 
I do, but it's my nature to help. Yeah, you're and a pleaser. I'm a pleaser. Yeah. And it helps me better serve my, my, my clients because I am. I go out of my way to make sure they're getting what they pay me for, which is a good thing. But not mm-hmm. if you're giving it away at a price that's not fair to you. And that's what was happening a lot. So I found rather than change who I am, which I didn't really want to do, I liked being me. I found other people to do that for me who don't, who aren't that easy to please and are willing to ask for a fair, fair price, not, not an unreasonable price, but pay me for what I'm actually doing. And I found that wasn't a strength I had. I needed someone else. And that's a big part of business. Know your weaknesses. Find other people who don't have those weaknesses. You don't have to be everything. Well, you, you can't. Need to be who you are. You need <laughs> yeah. to be who you are. And if you don't have a skill that's critical, find someone who does and delegate it to that person and stay true to what your inner competencies are. And your business will do much better than if you try to be everything to everyone. I use as an example, General Patton. During World War II, he was a wonderful general. Would you want to be married to him or have him as a father? I'm, I'm assuming he wouldn't have been the nicest father or the easiest husband, but it made him a very good general. So sometimes something that makes us exceptionally good at something makes us terrible at something totally different. So a person who's strong-willed and aggressive yeah, if you're in war, that's someone you want standing behind you with a gun. This doesn't worry. He's going to shoot at anything that moves. And that's maybe it's not someone I should be shooting when they're going to kill you. But on the other hand, in other situations, that isn't someone you want to be around. So it's the same in business. What will make us good at many things will often be detrimental to other skills that we need. And I I've learned by making a lot of mistakes, by trying to do it ineffectively, that I needed to get other people to do that for me. And things have gotten much better as a result. I'm still me and I'm doing much better because they're getting a better fee that I'm deserving than I would have gotten being a nurturer. Yeah, nice. So you mentioned your age earlier on. You said you're 72. Why, why continuing? Why not stop in retiring? I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. Right. Um, when I got out of college studying biology and psych, I got interested in, the, in consciousness. I, I started studying yoga, not just a little. I went to a Kundalini yoga ashram and I went on weekends. I lived there and it was all the different kinds of yoga Kundalini yoga, tantric yoga, Raja yoga, Leia yoga. I learned all the yogas. And it makes you more aware of we're all connected. Everyone, it's a, it, it is the human race. We're all part of this thing called the human race. We're only as good as the weakest person in our family. And we have a responsibility to use our gifts to help that family get stronger and better. And I feel I've been given a gift. I think reading 80 pages a minute is a gift. I don't believe most people can do that. And most people probably won't, even after I teach them. They'll go two, three, four times faster, but they probably won't reach my speed with good comprehension. So I feel that that's a, that's a responsibility 
that I have to, to make a better world. Because if you read the newspaper, you think there's too many smart people making too many good choices in our world. I haven't heard that from anyone. I can't fix all the problems. I'm a realist. But if I help leaders, entrepreneurs and leaders be better at what they do, then together, all these people who are leaders making better choices and decisions, that has an impact. That can move things in a different direction. So no, I can't fix everything, but I can help the people who do that do it better. Maybe a doctor reads 50 more books on cancer than any doctor ever read before and realizes there's a cure. He sees something they never saw because all of those data points are in one brain now. And he sees a relationship that no one saw before because they didn't have those data points in their brain. That's a good example. And so I feel I have a responsibility to do this to help people. And I'm a Rotary president. So I volunteered like in Malawi. It's a very poor country. It's the poorest. They can't afford a reading program. They can't afford food. So we had a school there that Rotary built and I gave my program for free to these young girls that are in the school to help them. They would never be able to buy it. And I just did that uh, three weeks ago for Haiti. There's this Rotary school in Haiti, also very, very poor country. They have nothing. So I donated a program and I'm, tr I'm looking to work with the UNESCO to help uh, other kids in very poor areas. My feeling is if you could take people who are poor and have no future and are desperate and educate them so they can learn a skill where they can provide for their family and have a home and a life, they won't want to blow themselves up and kill other people because they have a good life. It's people who are desperate. They have nothing. They have no future. And it's bleak. They, don't, they do desperate things, which causes problems for everyone. So my goal is to try to reach these people with skills. I don't think you solve problems by killing people with bombs and bullets. You solve problems by empowering people to be successful, feed their families, have a home, have, have something to live for. And yeah. it's going to come from learning. And I've made a breakthrough that lets a normal person learn two, three, four times faster. It could be a big part of that solution. So I don't see it as an age thing. I see it as long as I can do this, I want to. It makes me feel, I'll give you just a couple of examples. One of my students graduated university at 16, 4.0 economics degree. Masters in math at 19, 397 GPA, professor at Yale now. Another was 11 years old, C student, normal kid, taught him to learn, got his high school degree at 15, his two-year degree in college at 17, four-year at 19, masters in English at 21, English professor at 22. He's 11 years old, C student. <clears throat> I took a group of kids, 11 to 15. One of their brothers had Down syndrome. They wanted to raise money to find a cure. So they started their own business as entrepreneurs. Using what I taught them, they learned how to build a website and do public speaking. In their first year, they were 11 to 
2015, they made 93,000 US dollars and they won the Silver Pyramid, which is the Academy Award in advertising. They beat Red Cross. They beat Rotary as the best not-for-profit business plan in America. They were 11 years old. Can you imagine if every entrepreneur and every child learned the skills these kids learned? If an 11-year-old can make $93,000 their first year, what can a normal person with more maturity and experience do in their business? That's why I teach this, because it can make a difference. So it's not about me. It's about what I'm trying. My mission for me, and it's a real mission, is to make a better world through learning and help people. If you had to uh, give one recommendation, one very practical recommendation to business funders, you know, startup funders, other entrepreneurs out there, what would it be? Oh, go to berglearning.com because they yeah. have a lot of programs and we have free lessons. We do have free lessons. Um, if you want to reach me directly, it's Howard at berglearning.com. I'll answer your questions. Um, I could give you some free lessons online so you could see what I do. I'm working with companies all around the world. One company is a $100 million a year company. They want to be a billion dollar a year company. I'm teaching them how. Another company is in a lawsuit and they have a million pages that someone has to read and find which of the pages is relevant to their case. Not all million are relevant. Well, I can do that. So I'm reading a million pages and I'll find the two or 300 pages they actually need to use to win the case. <clears throat> Maybe you have a company and you have an idea and you have 10, 15 books. Someone has to read them and combine them and give you the cliff notes and say, okay, this is what you need to do now. I do that like a CLO of a company. I do the learning for them and then explain to them what it is they can do with that information to make their business grow. So those are some, I tutor people also in business. A lot of CEOs, they have a lot to learn. Look at Warren Buffett reads a book a day. Oprah reads a book a day. Uh, Bill Gates reads a book a day. Not on marriage, apparently. He reads a book a day. Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk reads two books a day. Jack Ma. I'm going to say they did pretty well, financially anyway. What did they do? They read a book a day. So imagine if every day for the next year, you can read a book in an hour, which you can. I had an 84-year-old read three books in three hours. So you can read a book an hour. Imagine it's a book on a skill, how to sell, how to market, how to write every day. So at the end of this year, you have 365 new business skills you didn't have. What would that do to your business? And then another year and another year and another year. In 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, what would that do to your bottom line? If you knew all that information, how to use it in your business. Can you see anything except it going up and being more productive and profitable? <clears throat> that's what I do. And that's my advice to people. We live in an information-rich world. Every decision you make is only based on one thing, what you know. When's the last time you made a decision based on what you didn't know? Who gets up and says, I hope I know less today than I did yesterday. I want to make less money than yesterday. I want an uglier partner for my life partner. Nobody thinks like that. What's it all depend on? Only one thing, what you know. 
and how you act based on what you know. Thank you very much, Howard, for your very uh, passionate conversation today. It matters to me. I'm really alarmed about the future of our planet. Global yeah. warming, deficits, viruses. Look at the riots around the world. This isn't going to be the last virus. This one's bad. There's worse. There are viruses where there aren't any cures and there are no shots. What's going to happen? Think of the Black Plague in Europe in the Middle Ages. How many people died? We're very fortunate to have smarter medical experts today. If they didn't do what they did, there'd be a whole lot more dead people. So the future depends on smartness and people like that finding solutions quickly. <clears throat> Everyone watching is doing something that helps people in some way. Everyone, if you're an entrepreneur, you're doing something people need. You need to learn how to do it better and how to reach more people. Every person you reach is a person you help. And it's not a fake passion. It's a passion to want to. It's like telling a kid, eat your vegetables. You're not telling them <laughs> to do that for a bad reason. When you're telling an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur is saying you need to do this, they're doing it because it's eating vegetables. It's going to make your life better. I'm not just trying to make money. I'm trying yeah. to help you. Yeah. People know when you're trying to help and when you just want their money. There's a big difference. And when people see you're sincere and you give a damn, and it's not just about you, they want to work with you and they want your services and they recognize that you're someone who can make a difference in their life. Indeed. Well, thank you again for those words of... Uh wisdom and uh thank you all for listening follow me on linkedin and instagram for extra tips and knowledge about entrepreneurship see you next time bye bye